unworthy, undeserving. All right, so I was a college student and I was signing up for my classes and you know, at the beginning, right before the semester, like any good college student, I tried to find the latest classes so I could sleep in. You know what I'm saying? And I tell you college kids, do it, sleep in. Because one day you're gonna have babies and you ain't gonna sleep anymore. Then those babies are gonna grow up and guess what? They taught you how not to sleep and so you'll never go back to sleep again. You'll be a 5 a.m. wake up person for the rest of your life. So till then, find the late classes. So I was looking for a later class and I found this chemistry course that I had to take. I was a church history major, but I had to take you know, a science. And so I found this one, it's perfect 1050. I thought, awesome, I'll wake up at 1030 and I'll make it there in time for class. So I arrive, I open up the door for the class that had already started. I was a little late. And when I walk in, there were 50 ladies and they all turned and looked at me and the professor she said oh, a boy <laughs> now I was not dating Anna at this time so I thought this is going to be the best class of the year <laughs> the ratios are in my favor this is a one to 50 so I just smiled and thought y'all this is the best kept secret I'm going to walk in here I slid in I sat down opened up got the syllabus and as they started reading the syllabus, I realized this was for pre-med students and nursing students. It was a chemistry course that was far beyond me. And I started saying, I don't belong here. I don't understand what this woman is saying. I don't understand the words that are coming out of her mouth about the syllabus. I'm never gonna be able to do this. I looked around, thought I'm gonna have to give this one up. So I got up and I started sliding out. She stopped. She turned and looked at me and just cocked her head a little bit. And I said, I'm realizing as I'm leaving, I'm realizing, I'm, I'm sorry to leave. I'm sorry to leave. Don't forget me. No, I kept, as I, as I was sliding out, I said, I said, I don't belong here. I, I actually, this is way beyond, and then I left. Now I showed up the next day to the right chemistry class and I walked in and you know what there was? Half the students were standing on the tables and there were paper airplanes. And I said, this is where I belong. This is the right chemistry course I was supposed to be in. You know, sometimes we have this feeling and this weight upon us or the reality around us that we don't belong. We don't belong. So we feel unworthy or undeserving. And perhaps the saddest and most tragic dynamic of that is that we can feel that with God. We can feel that in church. We can feel that even here right now. Unworthy, undeserving, an outsider. You don't want me, God, in your story. God, I don't even think you want me in your family. Like, I'll come to church and I will, I will like relate to God and I'll stand here and I'll observe. But once I'm invited to go just a little closer and a little deeper in, you, I don't belong. I don't fit in. I don't fit into the story of God. Many of us have felt that or are feeling that. I don't deserve to be here. I'm a stain, a blemish. 
the things in your life, the things from your past, the circumstances that influenced you, changed you, hurt you, abused you, and so you feel unworthy. Yeah, you'll come for a moment. You'll observe, you'll glance, but when you're invited into the depth of God's love and the relationship with him, that's when you begin to kind of walk away. I don't belong here. Let me tell you something. Do you know that the word of God and the story of God is drenched in the pages of his word with people and individuals who were unworthy and undeserving, but he found worth in them, reached toward them, and they became vital parts to his promises, his will, and his goodness being seen and fulfilled. See, our lack of feeling worthy hinders where God wants to take us and what he wants to produce through us. We know the promised land isn't just a land and a product that we're trying to get or we're trying to market. It's us being brought into the fullness of God and who he is in covenant with him where he's experienced and when others encounter us, they experience him. But oftentimes what hinders us from this is our feelings of not being worthy, not belonging. Don't put me in the family portrait and picture. I'll just stand out here. Like you don't want me a part of that family tree. Not with what I've done, where I've been, how I've been marked. We're gonna read a story of someone who was unclean, an outsider, misfit, she didn't belong. And many would look and say that she would be someone who would probably stain the lineage of faith. What could God do through a broken person? God works best with broken soil. Do you know that? He plants the most beautiful trees. The most powerful harvest comes out of a broken life. We're gonna read the story of Rahab, right here in Joshua chapter two. Can I encourage you that as we read, don't just read it, let the text read you. You know what I mean by that? I'm saying let your heart be open up to let the Holy Spirit speak and make these words come alive. Find yourself in the story and let it become alive in you and I promise you, you will not be the same. Transformation begins from the word of God when we just don't read it, but we allow it to read us. And here we are, Joshua chapter two. The people of Israel had just wandered and come through the desert and the wasteland and the wilderness for 40 years. They were under the leadership of Moses and now they were under the leadership of Joshua. They had fought many battles in the Canaanite region. God did mighty wonders, powerful things, and now they were approaching Jericho. Joshua, son of Nun, sent two spies out from Shittim secretly, and he instructed them, find out what you can about the land, especially Jericho. They stopped at the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they spent the night there. The king of Jericho received this report. Note well, Israelite men have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent this order to Rahab. 
Turn over the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house, for they have come to spy on the whole land. But the woman had hid the two men and replied, yes, these men were clients of mine, but I didn't know where they came from. And when it was time to shut the city gate for the night, the men left. I don't know where they were heading. Chase after them quickly, she said, for you, you have time to catch them. Now she had taken them up to the roof and had hidden them in the stalks of flax she had spread out on the roof. Meanwhile, the king's men tried to find them on the road to the Jordan River near the fords, and the city gate was shut as soon as they set out in pursuit of them. Now before the spies went to sleep, Rahab went up to the roof, and she said to the men, I know the Lord is handing this land over to you, and we are absolutely terrified of you. And all who live in the land are cringing before you, for we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you left Egypt, and how you annihilated the two Amorite kings, Sion and Og, on the other side of the Jordan. When we heard the news, we lost our courage, and no one could even breathe for fear of you. And listen to this. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, let me just pause here. There's a statement that she is making, Rahab, the most unlikely source of this statement. She's making a big revelation moment. See, she's looking at them. She's heard the stories of Yahweh, the God of Israel, who delivers his people, and she's heard that this God, this God is one who is not just far off and distant, not transcendent, distant from them, but imminent, up close and personal. In other words, the God of heaven and earth. She's saying our gods, Baal and Ashtaroth, these gods and goddesses, they're just pieces of wood, carven images. No interaction with us, no reality around us, no power to be seen. But your God, he's not just distant and far away or some theory or idea or some dead idol. No, your God is like alive and present. He invades the presence of his people and the seas they part. And food comes from heaven and water out of rocks. You serve a God of heaven and earth. In other words, your God invades the dust and the brokenness of humanity. He's present. He's not just the one of the philosophers and the scholars, but he's actually the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's personal. It's family. There's a connection. She got this revelation. And we continue. So now, promise me this with an oath sworn in the Lord's name. Because I have shown allegiance to you, show allegiance to my family. Give me a solemn pledge that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and will rescue us from death. The men said to her, if you die, may we die too. If you do not report what we've been up to, then we will show unswerving allegiance to you when the Lord hands the land over to us. Then Rahab let them down by a rope through the window her house was built as part of the city wall and she lived in the wall. She told them, head to the hill country so the ones chasing you don't find you. Hide from them there for three days, long enough for those chasing you to return. Then you can be on your way. The men said to her, we are not bound by this oath you made us swear. 
unless the following conditions are met. When we invade the land, tie this red scarlet rope in the window through which you let us down. Gather together in your house your father, mother, brothers, and all who live in your father's house. Anyone who leaves your house will be responsible for his own death. We are innocent in that case. But if anyone with you in the house is harmed, we will be responsible. If you should report what we've been up to, we are not bound by this oath you made us swear. And she said, I agree to these conditions. And she sent them on their way and then tied the red rope in the window. The story continues as the people of Israel move closer to Jericho. They march around for days around these walls. The walls have fallen. And here, Joshua chapter six, verse 22 we hear what we think is the ending of Rahab's story. Joshua told the two men who had spied on the land, enter the prostitute's house and bring out the woman and all who belonged to her as you promised her. So the young spies went and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and took them to a place outside of the Israelite camp, but they burned the city and all that was in it, except for the silver, gold, and bronze and iron items they put in the treasury of the Lord's house. Yet Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's family, and all who belonged to her. She lives in Israel to this very day because she hid the messengers Joshua sent to spy on Jericho. The reality, the reality of who this woman was, there was a deep reality to who she was. And it started first with an observation of the world she found herself in, scarred by it, encircled by it. She was a Gentile. She wasn't one of the people promised like the Jewish people, the people of Israel. And she was a prostitute. You know, sometimes people have tried through history to to make it sound like she was a hostess of an inn. No, the reality of scripture continues to share the title of who she was. And when you study it, she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. Because God likes to show how the most broken people who feel unworthy and undeserving of anything good and of God, he loves to bring them into his family. He welcomes them in. He's not intimidated by their brokenness, your brokenness or mine. He doesn't get dirty by our mess. He invades it and he loves us. There was a reality to her status. There's a reality to your status and mine, our history, our story, our past, our brokenness, the things that have stained our lives that we have on us as real. But status is no boundary to God's grace and salvation. I don't know what someone has branded you as or placed upon you, or you've placed upon yourself, but I pray that today in this moment, you realize that our God is not just some distant being far off and away. He is up close and personal. He's the God of heaven and earth. And if Rahab could take hold of that revelation and realize it, I pray we do as well. And not only do we hold that revelation in our heart, but we begin to reveal it to the world around us that status does not stop the grace of God. You could have much or you could have little, but we all find a common ground and a common place at the table of his grace. See, Rahab, 
Rahab was surrounded by a culture that was broken and not ideal. I think we can all say we get it. We get it. It was a dark culture. This, this city of Jericho was devoted to Ashtaroth. See, Ashtaroth was the spouse, the consort of Baal. She was the goddess of the moon and Baal, the god of the sun. It was a very sensual religion, divination and fortune telling. It was all about the urges. It was all about fear of the future and the unknown. It was dark. And even Rahab's life and what she did, known as a prostitute, means she was not just caught up in the cycle of the world and the culture around her, but she began to produce it out of her own life. See, some of us here, we find ourselves caught in that place where our brokenness is now being produced to the next generation or our brokenness and the things that we've battled and fought with and we've just accepted, all of a sudden now we're seeing that we're influencing others in that same broken place. And in those moments, you come and you say, man, I can't even deal with what I'm dealing with and now I see my son or my daughter or my grandchild dealing with that. And so then we take that step back and say, I'm unworthy, God. I'm undeserving. You know, Anna and I just over these last few years, right, we have kids who are seven and under, four of them. And so like many of us, we look at our culture right now and it's, it can be very dark and discouraging and, and, and feel very broken and scary and anxious, all these things. And we had a moment where we just started feeling really discouraged. And so we began to pray together. And do you know what we realized? The Lord had revealed something deep to us. Because I said, Anna, man, we're gonna have to have conversations with our seven-year-old that my parents had with me when I was 17. That's hard. But you know what God began to show us? He said, Stephen and Anna, what I was doing in your life of surrender at 17, I'm gonna do in your seven-year-old. Do you understand that God is not influenced by the darkness around him? His light dispels it. He's not suddenly discouraged and in despair when he looks at our culture. Don't think that the answer is to pack up, board up, and get away. I'm telling you, the generations that are here and behind us are gonna take it further than us. They're gonna be bold and surrendered like you were at 40 years old. They're gonna be at 20 years old. When you finally said yes to Jesus at 25, they're gonna say yes to Jesus at five years old in our family ministry right over here and they're never gonna be the same and they're not gonna know a difference because they're gonna know the light and they're not gonna be afraid of the darkness because they're gonna see the power of the light. See, do you understand that that is what we're called to produce here, church? God doesn't look at our past and get intimidated by it. He doesn't look at the world around us and say, run away and save yourself. He says, oh, you watch what I can do in a broken culture and a broken city. I can heal and I can restore and I can invade. And it's not with fist of fury, it's with love. And oftentimes it might be even subversive, like two spies wandering in to a place of a harlot where suddenly God's invasion happened in the most unlikely places in Rahab's presence. But guess what she did? See, Jericho heard about this God of Israel and it made them afraid. Rahab heard and she believed. 
she believed. She began to turn. That place was devoted to evil and to darkness. But Rahab reacted to God's invasion. I pray that we react to what God's doing and invading right now in our heart and our life. What is he doing? What is he doing? What is he pulling out of you and me? What mess is he walking into right now that we don't see but you know you're in? The cycle that surrounds you. Get ready. But it's gonna cost us something. You know what's gonna cost us? Our devotion. In this city devoted to evil, there was one woman who made a choice that when the report came, she would turn and devote herself. She shifted her devotion to the God of Israel. Do you know that the word devotion is a consecrated vow? I'm devoted to my wife, Anna. We have consecrated our vows to each other. Before the Lord, and we've also done it in front of a community. When we had our vows on our wedding day, we were saying yes to each other. We were devoted to one another. What are we devoted to in our life? What are we devoted to? What table of consecration do we sit at in our life, in our everyday, and do we eat of? Anxiety, depression, fear, idolatry? Are you devoted to money? Are you devoted to it? Consecrated to it? It's almost like there's a vow from you to money, and when it does something, it deeply affects you and alters you and changes you. The fears of this world, the unknown, I just gotta know what the future holds. I just gotta know what the future holds. I just gotta know what the future holds. And we never think about who holds the future. We say that statement all the time, but do we live it? Are we devoted to it? Does it have our affection and our worship and our time? Do we pull our family into it? See, let me tell you something. Your devotion and my devotion affects if we feel worthy or not. It affects our worth. The table you eat at and I eat at that we're devoted to, the relationships we're devoted to, they become a source. And that source affects our worth. And we wonder why we don't feel worthy. We wonder how we feel undeserving. Rahab shifted her devotion. And it did cost her something, but the blessing was salvation for her and her entire family. The Lord is so good and faithful. He saw her devotion begin to shift. And come on, it was scary for her. Can you think about this? Invasion was about to happen. Everything she knew and was certain about was about to shift and change. Her livelihood, her profession, her security was all about to be adjusted. Not only that, she was now requiring her family to be a part of this devotion she was having. Come into my household, stay here. 
This was a big shift. I'm sure that while she was in that room and for the days on days on days, the armies of Israel just marched around the walls of Jericho and nothing happened. There were some quarreling, fighting attitudes and arguments in that household that she was locked in with her family. Some questions that she might've had, but yet she remained and stayed devoted because she realized that the God of Israel was one of heaven and earth, that she was seen she was heard. Why would God waste him, his time with someone who is at the bottom of society in a broken and dark place? Because that's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. All humanity is precious to him. <clears throat> Rahab's devotion shifted and God Turned to her. She was worthy of his salvation. I'd like to actually invite the worship team back up at this time. God welcomed Rahab into his story. God welcomes us into his story. He welcomes us in. He looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, come be a part of what I'm doing. And let me bring you into the things that I'm doing. Yeah, but you don't understand. I don't belong here. Like, this is not the type of person. I'm gonna ruin the whole God story. No, you're not. You're a part of the God story. Do you know that Rahab becomes a member of the Hall of Faith? This prostitute who was an outsider, a Gentile, didn't belong. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, in the community of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and Joshua. Verse 31, chapter 11. By faith, Rahab. She made the hall of faith. Unworthy and undeserving. And not only was she brought into the story, but she would be a part of producing the story of salvation for all humanity. She would be a part of birthing salvation to come for all of humanity because when you read Matthew chapter one, the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus Christ, do you know whose name is in that? Rahab the prostitute. See, not only does God want to bring you and I into his promises, but he wants to release them through us both now and for the next generation. That is who our God is. Oh, how good he is. Oh, how faithful he is. He reaches into the darkest and most broken places. He invades the cycle of our culture around us and he just looks at us and we have an opportunity. Will we be devoted to him? Will we be in relationship with him? Maybe you sit here and you say, I, I, mean, I relate to God, I relate to God. He wants relationship with you. He wants you not just to become a part of his story, to become a vessel in which his story flows through. That's the depth of relationship he wants. We can conceal our disgrace or we can allow God's presence to invade it and when he does, that becomes grace. Today, church, we're taking communion with one another.
We're coming to the table of grace, to the table of consecration and devotion where Jesus said, I consecrate and make a vow to you to lay down my life, to lay down my life, to reach in so we can have relationship with one another. Would you get those elements out right now? If you didn't receive it, would you just put your hand up and our ushers will make sure to get you those elements. Those of you at home, you can prepare the ones that you have there. It's an undeserved meal of God's grace. Keep your hands up. We want to get it to you. It's an undeserved meal of God's grace. It's a table of his devotion to us. Well, my question for all of us in this moment is will we be devoted to him? You know, for some of you here, you really do feel unworthy and you feel messy and you feel broken because you've just related to God. You've observed, but you've never taken a step in. I pray today is a day of salvation for you, just like it was for Rahab that you know there's a God who's not just far away and distant and doesn't want anything to do with you. He wants to be up close and personal with you, face to face, eye to eye, because he loves you. Like me with my child, when they come up to me, I'm not just, okay, great, good. No, I want to be up close and personal, eye to eye, face to face. That's who our God is, and he loves you. Yeah, but they're a mess. They're covered in mud. They're broken. They're crying. He's so big. He's so great. He's so grand. He's so powerful. He's so loving. And yet he's right there to embrace you, to fill you up. Can we stand up with one another here? And as we do, would you open the top of that seal and take hold of the wafer? Here we are, together church, at the table of grace, at the Lord's Supper, the place of consecration and devotion. I'm not bringing you to three snazzy points at the end that you can walk away with and write on your board at home. I'm bringing you to a table where Jesus is the head of it and his body is the strength of it and his blood is the source of it. And he's the only one who can bring you through the weak and bring you through the brokenness and bring you through the darkness. He's the only one who can release the anointing that this world needs for us to shine bright. Not teachings and not some man's words, but God's presence and his holiness. It's not just on the outside of us, but on the inside of us. That's why it's a meal. What are you eating? Eat of this. There is power when we gather together and we partake of the brokenness of his body that makes us whole and of the shedding of his blood that covers us and puts us in his bloodline. We're a part of a new family tree here. They constantly call Rahab the prostitute throughout scripture, the harlot. You wanna know why? It's not to rub it in her face because she was scarred by something greater at the end. By the goodness of God and his salvation. And it's the type of scar that covers the old one. And new things come forth. It's okay to have scars as long as they point and turn you to devotion. Devotion to him. That's why Jesus' scars he'll have forever. 
to remind us of his devotion, his hands and his feet and his side. His devotion of love that we celebrate here and partake of. His grace. Lord, we come before you and we thank you. Would you just lift up that wafer and would you partake of it? And God, as we partake of this, we know it is your body that was broken for us. It symbolizes your brokenness so we might be whole. And Lord, as we look at this juice, we see that it's your spilt blood for us. You shed it for us because you love us to bring us into your family. You devoted yourself to us, so now may we devote ourselves to you. Consecrated and remembering. Fill us up, Holy Spirit, through the work of Christ. You may partake. Now, church, can we worship him? Can we worship him for who he is and what he has done, not our past? You are worthy because he has found worth in you. You are deserving because of his grace. You are a part of the family. If you don't know Jesus today, he loves you so much. He loves you so much and his love will break addictions and powers of your past. He will break the fears of the unknown and the future. His love is so mighty and so good and he is after your heart today because he loves you and he wants to restore you and redeem you. If you would just turn towards him and you would begin to take those steps towards him, he will meet you. He will change you. He will transform you. There's a lot of broken people in this room, but in your brokenness, if you found Jesus, would you put your hands up? Look around, church. This is who God's people are. We have been changed by him because of his grace. Unworthy? No, not anymore. Oh, we're worthy. We're worthy because of the lamb that was slain and the word of our testimony. The world will know we are worthy because of Jesus.